Hey, this is Eric Olson, and you're listening to the Science Centric Podcast. Today, we're talking about making babies. No, not the uh, classic way of making babies. This is the modern way of making babies, and it's caused quite an uproar in the scientific community with good reason. Uh, Specifically, we're talking about the news out of China that a scientist there has created a CRISPR baby. So if you don't know what CRISPR is, that's a way to directly edit a a cell's DNA structure and fundamentally change it. So let's head over to the NIH website. I think they have a really great description of how CRISPR works before we go any further. And then we can talk about the ethical issues with fundamentally changing people's DNA. Okay, so the NIH website describes CRISPR in this way. CRISPR-Cas9 was adapted from a naturally occurring genome editing system in bacteria. The bacteria capture snippets of DNA from invading viruses and use them to create DNA segments known as CRISPR arrays. The CRISPR array allows the bacteria to remember the viruses or closely related ones. If the virus attacks again, the bacteria produce RNA segments from the CRISPR arrays to target the virus's DNA. The bacteria then use Cas9 or a similar enzyme to cut the DNA apart, which disables the virus. So this is basically a defense mechanism that bacteria use to prevent viruses from invading. Uh, it, it, you know, it's similar to a little bit to how our immune system works and how our cells work in remembering when viruses attack. Uh, this is why vaccination works, for example. Um, so the CRISPR arrays are basically little snippets of the um, viral DNA or RNA that have actually been incorporated into the bacteria's uh, genome. So the NIH Uh, website goes on to say the CRISPR-Cas9 system works similarly in the lab. Researchers create a small piece of RNA with a short guide sequence that attaches to a specific target sequence of DNA in a genome. So basically this artificially created RNA, instead of attaching to a virus, it's it's attaching to whatever the science, whatever piece of DNA the scientist wants it to be attached to. The RNA also binds to the Cas9 enzyme. As in bacteria, the modified RNA is used to recognize the DNA sequence, and the Cas9 enzyme cuts the DNA at the targeted location. Although Cas9 is the enzyme that is used most often, other enzymes can also be used. Once the DNA is cut, researchers use the cell's own DNA repair machinery to add or delete pieces of genetic material or to make changes to the DNA by replacing an existing segment with a customized DNA sequence. So this is like a really easy way for scientists to make changes to individual cells, to the DNA in individual cells. They basically are making a cut. They can put in whatever kind of genes or pieces of genes that they want. And then the cell's own machinery goes in and sort of knits the DNA back together. So that's essentially what's happening. can also be used to make deletions so that you can, um, you know, cut out a piece of a gene, a problematic piece of a gene, and 
make the gene more functional and work better than it than it did with that with that problem. So the the difference between this and other forms of genetic engineering that have existed in the past is that this is a very specific way to introduce changes to an organism's genome. And in the case of what happened in China, now we're talking about we're fundamentally changing the DNA of a, a human, an individual, and that DNA can then be passed on if that individual decides to have offspring. So this just opens a huge can of worms, uh, a Pandora's box, if you will, because once these changes are introduced, they can't be taken back. So let's hear from the scientist who um, who did this, and will and he has a very thick Chinese accent, so it might be a little bit difficult to understand, but um, I think it's worth hearing from him directly. So one thing to note is that it's my understanding that this scientist, his name is uh, He Jinkui, uh, pardon my Chinese pronunciation if that's way off. Uh, my understanding is that he actually, this is the way that he told the world about what he had done, that he had fundamentally changed the genetic structure of these uh, babies. And um, he announced it on YouTube. So that's, that's highly unorthodox. Usually when you publish new research, you're going to publish it through a peer-reviewed academic journal, um, not not announce it to the world through a series of YouTube videos. So I think it's, um, but I think it's interesting to hear from him. And um, you can definitely hear the excitement in his voice uh, about this discovery. Two beautiful little Chinese girls named Lulu and Lala came crying into the world as healthy as any other babies a few weeks ago. The girls are home alone with their mom, Grace, and the dad, Mark. Grace started her pregnancy by regular IVF. Okay, so I just want to stop the video there. So he says that the babies came into the world as healthy as any other uh, babies. And, you know, the truth is that we don't actually know that. Um, we don't know that those babies are 100% healthy. They may, have, they may look healthy. Um, you know, maybe born looking healthy, but their, you know, their genes have been altered. And, you know, at this point, only time will tell how healthy they are. So I think he's perhaps uh, overly optimistic here. Right after we sent her husband's sperm into her egg, we're also sending a little bit of protein and instruction for a gene surgery. When Lulu and Lala was just a single cell. This surgery removed the doorway through which HIV entered to infect people. A few days later, before returning Lulu and Lala to Greece warm, we checked how the gene surgery went by whole genome sequencing. The result indicated that the surgery worked safely as intended. Grace's pregnancy was normal, which we monitored closely by ultrasound and blood tests. After birth, we again deep sequencing Lulu and Lana's whole genome. This verified the gene surgery worked safely. No gene was changed except the one 
to prevent HIV infection. The girls are safe, healthy as any other babies. When Mark saw her daughter for the first time, he said that he never thought he could be a father. Okay, so the the reference to I uh, to HIV there is that the um, gene that he changed is a gene called CCR5, which is involved how, in how HIV, the virus that causes AIDS, enters into the uh, immune cells. So that this was um, so the idea here is that his that the father had uh, HIV and by changing the genetic uh, structure of the um, the babies, the embryos, that would prevent the entrance of HIV, I guess, into their cells. Although it's, um, I'm not 100% sure how that works. I'm actually a little bit surprised that they can't separate out sperm and egg from any kind of HIV viruses uh, during the pro process of in vitro fertilization. That's actually kind of surprising to me. So I'm not exactly sure what the point was here um, other than to try to create immunity for these uh, babies from, from HIV. But um, it's not 100% clear to me that they would have been infected to begin with. Um, because they were selected by IVF, so it seems like that could have been screened out some other way. All right, so let's jump over to an article by Gina Collada and Pam Bullock, Pam Bellick at the New York Times, and they have a nice article that's about why are scientists so upset about the first CRISPR babies? And actually, they have a nice synopsis, too. A Chinese scientist recently claimed he had produced the world's first gene-edited baby, setting off a global firestorm. If true, the scientist has not yet published data that would confirm it. His actions would be a sensational breach of international scientific conventions. Although gene editing holds promise to potentially correct dangerous disease-causing mutations and treat some medical conditions, there are many, many safety and ethical concerns about edit editing human embryos. Here are the answers to some of the numerous questions swirling around this development. The scientist He, he Jiankui said he used CRISPR, a gene editing technique, to alter a gene in human embryos and then implanted the embryos in the womb of a woman who gave birth to twins in November. That is illegal in many countries, including the United States. China has halted Dr. Her's research and is investigating whether he broke any laws there. Among the concerns are whether the couples involved in Dr. Hay's research were adequately informed about the embryo editing and the potential risks involved. Dr. Hur says he has submitted his research to a scientific journal, but nothing has been published yet, and he has announced the births of the twins before his research could be peer-reviewed by fellow scientists. So then they get into a little bit, uh, as I was alluding to, is you know why did he edit this CCR5 gene? They write that the gene is called CCR5. It creates a protein that makes it possible for HIV, the virus that causes AIDS, to infect people's cells. Dr. Hu said that with the help of HIV AIDS, advocacy organization in China, he recruited couples in which the man had HIV and the woman did not. He used the CRISPR-Cas9 editing technique to try to disable the CCR5 gene in their embryos with a goalie set of creating babies who would be resistant to HIV infection. 
So again, I don't really completely understand what he was trying to do there because um, this, you know, this was not a natural insemination. It was uh, done by IVF. So it seems like you could screen out any, you know, HIV particles that would be floating around in this uh, man's semen before um, creating a, um, you know, IVF baby. So why are scientists up in arms? Changing the genes in an embryo means changing genes in every cell. If the method succeeds, the baby will have alterations that will be inherited by all of the child's progeny. And that, scientists agree, is a serious undertaking that must be done with great deliberation and only to treat a serious disease for for which there are no other options, if it is to be done at all. Instead, Dr. Hay went ahead and disabled a perfectly normal gene, CCR5, while people who are born with both copies of CCR5 disabled are resistant to HIV. They are more susceptible to West Nile virus and Japanese encephalitis, and there are simpler and safer ways to prevent HIV infection. So I think that this is probably the most fundamental problem with tinkering around with genes in Embryos, not individual cells uh, of, a, of an individual, but actually changing the genetic structure of uh, future generations. There's a, there's a phenomena in biology called pleiotropy. This is basically the idea that um, you know a single a single gene can have uh, can affect multiple traits. So. If I go in and I try to make change a gene and make somebody resistant to HIV or resistant to some other kind of um, disease, I may have it may have some unintended effect because I'm affecting some other trait, as they point out in this article. Um, if I try to make someone smarter, it might make them shorter, if or you know more prone to breast cancer. I mean, we just don't know. And anybody that's worked in developmental biology knows that um, these genes affecting one gene can have multiple effect. I spent a little bit of time in a fruit fly lab, and you know they we would change uh, you know changes in one gene could have a ripple on effect through the development of the whole uh, fruit fly. Um, you know, with birth de- basically birth defects, mutations that would give the the fly extra legs or extra joints or something like that. So when you start tinkering around, it's, and you don't know exactly all the, all the, everything that's going to happen. It's a really bad idea. And, you know, you want to start with animals, uh, that you can, uh, destroy if they, if, if something ends up wrong with them, there's so many ethical issues with people because obviously we can't, you know, experiment on people and then, destroy them uh if if we get a bad result it's like once the once that mutation is introduced into the germline uh we don't know what the effects are and 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 we don't know um you know how that will persist in the population we don't know how it could affect other traits um and to top it all off we can't put it back and consider this what if these, uh, you know, babies that grow up to be adults want to have their, want to have children? Can we tell them that they can't have children because they're, you know, genetically inferior in some way uh, because of these mutations that have been introduced? I mean, that just sounds totally draconian and totally authoritarian and, and just a terrible idea. So, 
you know, I think the science community is outraged about this because we really have to proceed with caution when we're talking about editing what's known as germ the germline, um, the the cells that eventually become egg and sperm because we just don't know what's going to happen um, down the road, and we have to p- proceed with great caution. There may be some instances where we can use genetic um, engineering like this to eliminate diseases from the population, but we have to be really, really careful that we're not then introducing mutations that have um, effects that we're just not aware of. All right, so let's go back to the New York Times article. Um, More worrying... CRISPR often inadvertently alters genes other than the one being targeted, and there are also circumstances called mosaicism where some cells contain the edited gene and others do not. Dr. Hay, her, hey, I don't know how to pronounce it, claimed in a video that CRISPR did not affect other genes in the twins and that the babies were born normally and healthy, but there is no way to know that is true. In fact, some of the data Dr. Her presented at a conference in Hong Kong after he announced the birth of his twins is concerning. Several scientists said, for one thing, it indicates that he was able to disable both copies of the CCR5 gene in only one of the twins, whom Dr. Hay identified as Nana, in the other twin, Lulu. Only one copy of CCR5 was disabled, providing limited, if any, protection against HIV. But Dr. Her implanted the embryo anyway. He said he informed the parents and they wanted both embryos implanted. Some scientists said the data Dr. Herr presented also suggested several potential issues re- resulting from the editing process. Most, most importantly, said Dr. Kiran Musunuru, a geneticist at the Univers- University of Pennsylvania who reviewed the data, there's clear evidence of mosaicism in the edited embryos of both twins. I was so furious, Dr. Musunuru said, this would have been disturbing anyway. Gene edited babies and made it a hundred times worse knowing that he had totally he had totally mosaic embryos. It's as if you took the embryos and dipped them in acid and said, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead with the implantation anyways. It's not that much different. So in this case, um, you know, CRISPR was applied to, to embryos, not individual cells. And so some of the cells may have been more or less affected by the CRISPR-Cas9 system, meaning that some of the cells did get, um, you know, DNA inserted or DNA deleted in this case from them and some did not. And, um, you know, that's not, uh, I'm not exactly clear what the problem is with mosaicism. I, I think from a scientific perspective, it's just uh, sort of a not a clean experiment because you don't know which cells of the body are going to end up having been affected by the CRISPR system, CRISPR Cas9 system, and which ones aren't. So, um, you know, then you don't know you know, are these, uh, these babies actually, um, you know, resistant to HIV or not. Other than that, I'm not exactly clear what the issues with mosaicism are. Um, if you know, if you're a geneticist and you have information about that, I'd love to hear from you. Either hit me up on Twitter at ScienceCentric, or, um, if you're watching this on YouTube in the comments, um, I'd, I'd, I'd like to know. I'm not hundred percent clear on that. 
All right, so let's go back to the article. While it's unclear if the babies themselves ended up with a mosaic Patrick or cells, Dr. Musanuru said the data shows that Lulu's placenta was mosaic, which is not a good sign. Finally, it is not known if his study subjects knew what they were agreeing to. The consent they signed was for an AIDS vaccine development project, and it did not and it did not mention all the risks of disabling CCR5. It said that if CRISPR altered other genes, the project team is not responsible for the risk. Uh, okay. <laughs> what are the potential implications? Many scientists are concerned Dr. Herr's experiment could have a chilling effect on support for legitimate, legitimate and valuable gene editing research. So should such epic scientific misadventures proceed, a technology with enormous promise for prevention and treatment of disease will be overshadowed by justifiable public outrage, fear, and disgust, said Dr. Francis Collin, director of the National Institutes of Health. So I, I think truth be told that this... CRISPR-Cas9 um, gene editing thing to most people probably sounds like science fiction and isn't, you know, of isn't even on their radar. So, um, I mean, I know that there's definitely pushback against GMO foods. So, you know, genetically modified foods and, you know, GM people, that's probably just beyond what most people can even comprehend. I mean, there, there are definitely some issues um, and you know, it's not because this sort of thing is actually pretty easy to do, uh, from a, from a scientific perspective, I think it's going to be really, really hard to regulate, uh, this in any way. Um, but let's go back to the article because the, this is addressed there as well. So in the United States, Congress has barred the Food and Drug Administration from even considering clinical trials involving human embryo editing. The National Institutes, Institutes of Health is prohibited from funding such research. The National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine issued a report in 2017 concluding that editing the genes of human embryos should only be acceptable in the narrowest of circumstances. It would have to be used to correct a serious genetic disorder that causes disease or disability. There would have to be no other alternatives. There would have to be good evidence that the benefits would outweigh the risks, and there would have to be a plan in place to follow the gene-edited children. In a follow-up video, the researcher in China, Dr. He, actually released five different videos, and in one of the videos he addresses that and kind of lays out his own ethical guidelines for um, for, for gene editing. What's odd to me though, is that he didn't, it doesn't seem like he actually followed his own advice and the, um, you know, these, these children, again, as far as I can tell, were not at any, any risk of, um, contracting HIV. If they had been naturally conceived, that probably would have been a problem. But, um, I, again, I think with, with IVS, there's probably a way to, to, to filter out HIV, uh, before the egg and sperm are joined in a test tube. Um, so, and, and then implanted. So I, I just, um, yeah, I mean, I think that, I think that is a good, um, sort of thing to have a good ethical guideline, which is, um, to have, to only use this to correct genetic problems, not to use it to um, to modify people to make them better or, or, or in some way by making them taller or smarter or better looking or 
you know, um, free from male pattern baldness or whatever. I mean, that's, that's a slippery slope. And as I mentioned before, I mean, pleiotropy and sort of downstream effects are, are a serious, uh, concern. What are the ethical concerns? Some worry that this is the first step toward using gene editing to create people with extreme intelligence, beauty, or athletic ability. But that for now is not possible. Such traits are thought to be affected by possibly hundreds of genes acting in concert and affected in turn by the environment. The biggest ethical concerns for now are with the rogue scientists enticing couples who do not realize the risks to babies that might result from experiments. And when those children grow up, the altered genes will be passed on to their children and to their children's children for generations to come. Uh, What we still do not know, until Dr. Herr publishes the results of his work in a peer-reviewed medical journal, we will not know the detailed results of the embryo editing or even whether the twins were actually born. Dr. Hur has not submitted his data, nor has he identified the children of uh, identified the children or parents other than to provide first names for the twin girls, Lulu and Nana. These may be pseudonyms. We won't know for many years if CRISPR affected the genes other than CCR5, nor can we gauge the health of the babies now or in the future. And of course, we do not know if other scientists will be emboldened to try their own experiments editing the genes of human embryos. So I think that this was bound to happen. We knew that, you know, this sort of experimentation was happening in monkeys, uh, in other primates, which are, you know, our closest biological relatives. Uh, it was only a matter of time before somebody sort of took the the first step and and um, you know took the plunge, so to speak, and um, just dove in and and actually tried to do this. So I, you know, I the the problem I think here is that science is a global endeavor. If we can't do it in one country, um, you know, some uh, scientists in another country will will take it on. Uh, so I don't know how this is going to be uh, prevented or regulated. This is a this is going to be a global have to be a global effort with governments uh, cooperating uh, across the the globe and you know uh, regulate you know a worldwide wide ban or regulation on this I think is going to be difficult and you know it's more difficult than something like you know, regulating the production of nuclear material because this is much more accessible uh, and easy to pull off. So um, I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. Um, Let's go over to, let's take a look at um, Nature News. Uh, The Nature News team put out an editorial suggesting how to move forward from this. Let's look at that for some ideas. All right, so the article says, people like to say that science is self-correcting. Events in China last week pose a serious challenge to that reassuring platitude. How do researchers respond to the failure of medical ethics, collective responsibility, and professional standards that saw an immature experimental technique used to help produce human babies? It has not yet been independently confirmed that the Chinese genome editing researcher 
uh, altered the DNA of embryos using a gene editing technique and then implanted them in a woman, as he claims. Such a step would be significant and controversial because it would make a permanent change to the germline that could be passed on to future generations. This distinguishes germline editing from the use of gene editing tools as therapies that correct genetic alterations in somatic cells in blood and other tissues. Somatic cells are just the regular cells of your body that don't um, give rise to egg and sperm. Verification of her's claims could be difficult given that privacy concerns rightly protect the identity of the parents and their one-month-old twin girls, but many scientists in the field agree on two things. The relative simplicity and widespread availability of the gene editing tool CRISPR-Cas9 mean that what her claims to have done is eminently possible, and whether or not he is the first person to have genetically edited a baby, he will not be the last. I think that's 100% true. So although testing the accuracy of his claim is a priority, so too is ensuring that any future efforts to, efforts to genetically edit the germline of human babies proceed in a much more regulated and responsible way. The scientific community still has the opportunity to take the lead on this. Public and political reaction to last week's news has been calmer than many might have expected, and it should do so urgently. So I'll just jump in and say that I think, again, that this this is just off people's radar. I think if you ask most people what CRISPR-Cas9 was, they would just have no concept of what it, what it was. So the fact that there's um, you know genetically modified babies out there now, it's just not on people's radar. It needs to be. There should be a, a wider political reaction. I think people don't also just don't understand the ramifications. They don't understand that this is like the genie that can't be put back in the bottle. And so if it catches on and more people are doing this, it's going to be, um, you know, we just don't know how that's going to turn out. We just don't have enough information. So, again, we need to proceed with caution. <clears throat> okay, back to the um, Nature News editorial. Some argue that the circumstances in which germline gene editing would be beneficial, such as reverse disease-causing mutations that could not be addressed in any other way, are likely to be extremely rare. Nevertheless, given that research and medicine move fast, a clear regulatory system needs to be devised and put in place in case a credible proposal arises. Such a regulatory system should draw on those that already exist to guide the use of gene editing tools for research into human development, and more broadly, govern medical testing of innovative therapies. But it should not start with the assumption that future germline editing is a foregone conclusion. That is a question for society, not scientists, and one that demands the input of different stakeholders from across the world. Researchers and phys physicians must ask permission rather than beg for forgiveness. <clears throat> so I think that's an that's a great that's a like a nice idea but the truth is that this researcher in China I mean he was first and he will always go assuming that this is true that he actually accomplished this but that you know he will always be first he will have the infamy the the you know he will be famous or he will have infamy um regarding this and his name will always be attached to it and that is the nature of science you know you you need to be the one that that does it first and it's what drives research forward in a good way but it's also um can drive it forward in a bad way and because people are just doing things sort of thoughtlessly and carelessly 
Um, not most scientists, but there are, you know, ones out there who are sort of unscrupulous. So, um, you know, again, that's a nice idea, but, um, you know, some, something stronger, I guess, may, may be required here. And, you know, maybe it's a matter of monitoring materials that would be used for something like this. Um, you know, in the same way in the U S they monitor, um, you know, materials that could be used for explosives, um, just so, you know, we know at any time who's doing this kind of work. All right. So let's go back to the nature news editorial. So a solid regulatory system set up by the research community can then be the basis for laws and regulations that individual nations might decide to introduce. Debate was key to framing the law that regulates a mitochondrial replacement therapy in the United Kingdom, a procedure that also affects unborn babies and means they carry DNA from three people. Laws are not always the best way to govern emerging, emerging medical procedures, but they do offer the deterrence of effective punishment for those who don't follow the rules, unlike self-regulation or guidelines. So how can the gene editing community set up a better system? A starting point would be a global registry or national registry set up by the funders or governments to record preclinical pre, pre research that involves gene editing and em, human embryos. This would require the objective steps and limitations of projects to be spelled out from an early stage. The records should also, be, also detail the steps taken for ethical approval and oversight of the research. The 2016 guidelines from the International Society for Stem Cell Research are a good model to follow for regulation of research that involves human embryos and, and gametes, including research into germ uh, line editing. So I, you know, again, that sounds like a great idea. And I think for, you know, ethical researchers, that would be a good uh, first step. But I think there will always be those researchers, those scientists, or just unscrupulous people that want to do this outside of any kind of regulatory system. So how do you identify them and how do you make sure that they're, um, you know, uh, that this isn't happening somewhere else? Um, I, I mean, it does take some technical skill, but um, I think a regulatory system, a voluntary system is not going to uh, catch everything or, or everything that's going on. So um, there may need to be laws that are also act as some kind of deterrent. So the Nature News article goes on to say such registries could also provide a mechanism to flag research po projects that do not meet high ethical and technical standards and a route to apply pressure on individuals and their institutions to improve, and they could provide a framework if the time comes to define a path to the clinic. They would help to explain the risk and potential benefits to people such as prospective parents so they can make more informed choices. More informed choices. Her's claim to have communicated his intentions and actions to the scientific community do not stand up to serious scrutiny. The community, from individual researchers to institutions, can and must do more to encourage more meaningful, transparent engagement and discussion on specific projects. In return, scientists who are trusted to carry out research have the responsibility to welcome and embrace scrutiny. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, he did this work didn't tell anybody he was doing it um you know kind of came up with a pr campaign by some accounts he hired an american pr firm uh to help him you know create sort of a campaign and videos and then you know announced to the world and said hey i did this and you know it's already done and what do you think hey by the way um so it's not you know that's not um how scientific 
uh, research with human subjects tip- typically uh, is done. It's um, there's a review process that has to be um, approved by an in- internal uh, ethics board at most you know research facilities and. Uh, only once that is approved, uh, do experiments go forward. And he pretty much circumvented all of that. And the other thing is, um, it now appears that he's missing the researcher. Um, he, um, you know, apparently was doing this without the approval of his institution in China. And, you know, uh, those are state run institutions. And so I'm sure he was in violation of some sort of law and, and, and has now disappeared. So, um, appears China is taking this quite seriously. Hey, thanks for listening, uh, to this episode. This is a little bit different format than, um, I'm used to doing. So let me know, uh, on Twitter at science centric. If you enjoy this format, if you'd like me to cover other news items. Also, if you subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, it would be really great if you could leave a comment. It helps us get more listeners. So that's it for this episode. I'm Eric Olson, and I'll catch you next time.